All right, football fans, welcome back to another episode of the Fans First Football Show. I am Jeff Hartman, joined by Rob Statsgrove. Rob, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great because my team is now the number one seed in the NFC. Thank you very much, Dallas Cowboys. I'm happy I don't have to talk about my team on the show today. So that's fantastic. So we're both in a great mood. And we're not actually going to start with the 49ers. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. And we are going to start with the game, shockingly, everyone is talking about. And it's not because of really, it's a reaction post game, And that's by one Patrick Mahomes, who is flipping out. I mean, you're watching this game. Let's talk about this in case you don't know. You're listening to the podcast. Like, what are you all talking about? Well, the Bills beat the Chiefs 20 to 17. The Chiefs have a play that looks like it is a touchdown, go-ahead score. It gets called back by offensive offsides. Is it Kadarius Tony that was yeah. offsides, Rob? He gets flagged for offsides, and Patrick Mahomes is irate. He is irate on the sideline, even so much so at the end of the game, he and Josh Allen shake hands, and he's still fuming about it and flipping out. Rob, before we even get into the nuts and bolts of this game, what was your take on the ending of this contest? The Chiefs have no one to blame but themselves. And first of all, the play that got called back is an unbelievable play. Mahomes completes it to Travis Kelsey, who's about to get tackled, and he laterals the ball across the field to Kadarius Toney. Like, this isn't like a little underhand pitch. Like, he throws a pass, and it's a a perfectly legal lateral, and Toney catches it and goes into the end zone. You're like, oh, my God, the Chiefs have the lead. But there's a flag. Kadarius Toney lines up offsides. He's in the neutral zone, and, like, not by a little bit, by a ton. Like, he's almost ahead of the ball. That's how offsides yeah. he is. And and after the game, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are crying, crying about how the officials somehow wronged them. And for anyone that doesn't know, if you are unsure if you're a wide receiver, if you're lined up in the neutral zone or not, you can look to the official, and sometimes the officials do give you advice. They can tell you, hey, back up. You're getting a little close. Or if it's a little close, sometimes the officials do warn you. But they don't have to do that. And according to the officials after the game, if you are egregiously offsides, the officials don't even give you the courtesy of the warning because it's so bad, essentially, you should be able to fix it yourself. So I don't know why the Chiefs are crying, Jeff. I Gene Steratore, who is now a, a rules analyst uh, for CBS, he went on Twitter and said, look, we were told he'd be speaking about officials. If it's close, you err on the side of not throwing the flag. He said, this flag is so rarely thrown. It has to be egregious. And so now the day after video still images are on social media and they're, they're showing how blatant this was. And I guess I can't speak for the chiefs fan base or anything like that, but I can tell you from a Steelers standpoint, if this happened to Pittsburgh, the fan base would not be pissed at the officials. When they saw the visual evidence, they would be absolutely pissed at the player. They'd be like, well, Kadarius Tony should be cut. Cut him tomorrow. <laughs> Do I, don't, catch him? I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand. Like, what are you arguing if you're the Chiefs? That the officials should have helped you, should have prevented you from getting a penalty? Like, that's what you're crying about? And oh, yeah. by the way, you had three more downs. After that, and you couldn't gain a single yard. That's the first thing. So, like, acting like that cost you the game. You still had opportunities to win the game, and you couldn't even gain a single yard after that. But, okay, let's, let's you know, be gracious to the Chiefs here, right? You were so wrong, right? Let's give them the touchdown anyway, even though they completely screwed it up themselves and have no one to blame but themselves. 
there was still over a minute left in the game and the Bills had two timeouts. So acting like, oh, we would have won the game if you didn't call that penalty, that's not guaranteed in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Any way you look at this, the Chiefs look horrible. And to me, they're trying to distract people from the fact that they are struggling this year. They can't score points. You know, they had plenty of opportunities in this game. Mahomes throws an interception on a screen pass on the first possession of the game. Oh, well, let's not talk about that, right? Let's blame the officials. Uh, Rice. For the Kansas City, as they're driving down the field, they're on their own 42-yard line, moving down the field. He fumbles the ball away. Chiefs turned it over. First and 10 at the Buffalo 12-yard line in the fourth quarter, and the Chiefs drive stalls, and they have to get a field goal. The Bills fumble the ball in the fourth quarter. It's rolling around near the sideline. Chiefs don't pick it up. Ball goes out of bounds. Bills keep possession. And you're sitting here talking about how the refs screwed you? Like, no. You had opportunities to win this game, and you messed it up. Time and time and time again. It feels like this is a culmination of things. It's just, it's come to a head. And the head is this this one call where they feel like they've been wronged, which NFL fans across the league that aren't Chiefs fans are laughing at that saying, really? Really? You all have been getting these calls for so long and now one goes against you, which it wasn't even a bad call. And you have the guts, the gall, the cojones to stand up in front of the media and say, oh, poor us. Now nah, screw that. Y'all have lost back-to-back games. You're eight and five. First round by, forget that. It doesn't look like you have any shot at that anymore, which, by the way, I, last week is when you brought that to my attention that Patrick Mahomes has never had a playoff run where they have to, uh, you know, win a first-round wildcard game. So the, char- the Chiefs are, are still have a pretty simple slate when you look at the rest of their games. They have the Patriots. They have the Raiders the Bengals, and they finished with the Chargers. So not not a murderer's row here. But can we also talk about Buffalo for a second? Because Buffalo, go ahead. Do you want to say anything about the Chiefs? Oh, yeah. Buffalo? One more thing I need to go say for it. Because Mahomes is not the only one complaining. Andy Reid said after the game, quote, it's a bit embarrassing for the National Football League for that to take place. The call <laughs> was correct. They got the call right. Like, it's embarrassing that the league didn't stop you from getting a penalty. Like this is absurd. I'm stunned that Andy, it's one thing for Mahomes to say that, right? He's a player. He's in it. He's playing his heart out. Guys are dropping passes. It's been a frustrating year for Mahomes for Andy Reed to sit there and say that they better come out today and say we were wrong. He was totally offsides. If they don't do that, like that is just a bunch of crybaby garbage from the chiefs. Let's let's let me ask you this question before we go to Buffalo because I do want to talk about the Bills. They play a great game. Yes. Um, do you do you believe in like the pro Chiefs bias? Because I see it on a week to week basis. Do you see it as well as an NFC guy that maybe not might not be as invested? I mean, you're talking to a guy who still thinks that they should have called a holding on Nick Bosa uh, for Nick Bosa in the Super Bowl on third and fifteen when Mahomes hit tri- uh, Tyree Kill. So <laughs> I, I don't want to say that because I just think Mahomes is really good and and yeah. we get frustrated by that. I don't know that they get any more favorable calls, but I think the favor they do more after getting a favorable call, so it stands out in your mind, I think. Okay. It's a good point. Um, but it's look, the Chiefs have had an unprecedented run of success. Like I said, they've never Patrick Mahomes has never played a road playoff game in his career because they're always the number one seed. The AFC championship game is the arrowhead invitational. So <laughs> it, you know, maybe it's just coming to a head this year. This is this is reality. Chiefs fans. This is what it's like for the rest of us in the NFL. 
Absolutely. And and people don't realize this. The Chiefs, if you look at their roster from when they won the soup the, the first Super Bowl, I mean it's slowly been chipped away at because you can't pay all of these players. It comes to the point where you got to pay the piper and your contract for your quarterback is gonna wear on your salary cap and you gotta let guys go. And this is kind of what they're experiencing. Great teams still find ways to win. They're still a good team, but man, they can't get out of their own way sometimes. But the Buffalo Bills, which who were left for dead by a lot of people, have rallied back. They are now seven and six. This is a team that, yeah, it doesn't get easier as it pertains to the rest of their schedule, but they're back in the AFC playoff picture. They're one of six, seven and six teams in the AFC. They, they are, they're a weird team. We talked about this all season. They'll, they'll find ways to win these games. Then they'll have these absolute stinkers. Here's their finishing four Cowboys, Chargers, Patriots. And then they finish with the Miami Dolphins. So what are your thoughts on the bills here, Rob? Bills are in the playoffs now. You lose another game. I don't know if necessarily if you're going to make the playoffs in the AFC. Maybe you will because, like you said, there's some seven and six teams, and who knows how that's going to shake out. But you can't take that chance if you're Buffalo. You're in the playoffs now. It reminds me of the Niners a couple years ago started three and five, and it was like, uh-oh, like <laughs> this is it. This, these are playoff-type games. That's how you have to approach it. And James Cook was the MVP. For the Bills yesterday. He was awesome in the game. 10 carries for 58 yards, five catches for 83 yards, and a touchdown. He was fantastic. To me, that's the biggest change since the firing of Ken Dorsey is they're getting the ball to the running backs, whether it's on checkdowns or whether it's on kind of sneaky plays out of the backfield where Cook then breaks downfield, like on a wheel route or something like that. That's been the biggest difference. And it was massive. He was really the only guy that did anything. The next leading receiver for the Chiefs was Dawson Knox. Three catches for 36 yards. Stephon Diggs had four catches for 24 yards in the game. So James Cook was massive for them yesterday. And they win. Like when you, If you were to say, like, hey, look at this box score. Do you think that the Bills win? You'd say <laughs> no. But they do. They found a way to win. And it's because the Chiefs turned the ball over. And because people are against the Chiefs now suddenly, but nonetheless, the AFC playoff picture, we're going to get to the AFC playoff picture shortly, but it is a jumbled mess uh, right now with a bunch of seven and six teams. We're going to talk about the front runner of the Baltimore Ravens here shortly, but I think it's appropriate that we go to the next game, which is Sunday night football. The Dallas Cowboys absolutely manhandle the Philadelphia Eagles. 33 to 13. Rob, this is a, you said you wanted this to happen so that your 49ers with a win, which they got, would get them into the number one position in the NFC playoff uh, picture. They get the job done. The Cowboys 33 to 13. They continue to have success at home. They continue to put up points. The Philadelphia Eagles are reeling a little bit. Both of those teams are 10 and three. This is an interesting NFC East race and in the NFC. Rob, what, do you, what was your takeaway? Well, I wasn't the only one that wanted it to happen. Nick Bosa said this week to the Cowboys, I hope you watch the film because we provided the blueprint on how to stop Jalen Hurts. And the Eagles had zero offensive touchdowns in the game. And I know Eagles fans are going to say, well, Dallas had extra rest. And just like the Niners had extra, like your offense looked awful last night. You're throwing these little dink and dunk passes to A.J. Brown. Stephon Gilmore was all over him all night long. Your offense was terrible if you're Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts, 18 of 27, 197 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Hurts only ran for 30 yards. And you could provide all the excuses you want. Oh, his knee is not right, whatever. You've looked awful two straight weeks against your biggest competition in your conference. I would be worried if I was an Eagles fan, big time. So this is where I always say, you know, the Eagles are a team. They're a good team. You don't get, you know, not 10 and three by, by an accident. Mm -hmm. And you, I've always say, okay, 
division games are tough. They split with the Cowboys one and one on the regular season. And I'm looking at, okay, well, what's up next? Because this is what's going to be. It's going to be a race to the finish. Who can win this NFC East? Let's look at Dallas first. They win the game. What do they have coming up? We talked about the Bills game. It's in Buffalo. That's going to be tough. We'll see if they can win that game. Then the Cowboys have to go to Miami and play the Dolphins. Then they host the Lions. And then they finish with a division rival in the Commanders. Three of those four games are tough. Those are really, really tough. And the Detroit Lions, although they lost this week, are going to be looking to hopefully make a statement and maybe they get some people back. Let's go to Philly. Philly at Seattle next week. Then they host the Giants, host the Cardinals, and then go to New York to finish out the season. Got to be honest, the Eagles is it's more favorable, don't you think? The Eagles is more favorable, and if the Eagles win out, they win the division. So they do like a lot of Eagles fans are going back to that. And I get that, right? Like, hey, we still control things. If we handle our business, we still win the division. But I got to be honest, like, I I don't know that it's a given that they're going to handle their business right now. The most effective part of the Eagles offense is a play where they gain one yard. It's the tush push. Like, that's the most effective thing they have going on right now. They fumbled the ball three times in the game, lost all three. Hang on to the damn football, will you? Yeah. So this is one of these. So when we talk about the seven and six, uh, the, the seven and six teams in the AFC, this is when you're going to have to know your tiebreakers. Like get your tiebreaker knowledge down because you're going to have a lot of these. Dallas is technically the number two team in the, uh, they're the number two seed in the NFC based on the fact that I think the division record is better. They have a four and one division record over three and one Philly. And then also their conference record is where well, they have seven wins. It's it's it gets to be confusing. <laughs> yeah, they they beat yeah. the Eagles out on division record right now because they are four and one in the division. And Philly yeah. is three and one. But doesn't this seem like two teams that are heading in different trajectories though? Philly kind of obviously lost back to back games, but not looking good. We've been saying all season how it just feels like this team is winning games, but in really weird ways and winning ugly. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but at the same time, you is it sustainable? Dallas is playing good football. Which team scares you more, Rob, as an NFC guy and as a 49ers fan who's looking at possible playoff matchups? Neither team scares me. Oh. <laughs> when the four- Look, the 49ers put up 84 points against these two teams. They like they have played them and they have played them this season. And it was not close when the 49ers play their best football. Nobody is beating them. I don't care if you're in the AFC. I don't care if you're in the NFC. I know the Cowboys look better now and they have to be fair. They've looked better now than they did early in the year. But the Niners have played them three times in the last two years. And the score is getting wider the more they play them. So I, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm afraid of the Cowboys. Do I think it'll be easy? No, but right. bring it on. Well, let's talk about your 49ers. They they beat the Seahawks 28 to 16 early in this game, little back and forth. Eventually, though, the 49ers are just too much. And without Geno Smith, I didn't think the Seahawks had a prayer. Drew Locke's not going to win this game, not against that defense. Uh, but nonetheless, like I said, San Francisco now the number one, the number one seed in the NFC. Rob, what's your takeaway from this game, this big win for y'all? This was comforting because the Niners, it's crazy to say this, they actually weren't sharp in this game. They were coming off the emotional game over the Eagles. Kyle Shanahan told the Fox broadcast crew the team was emotionally exhausted was the phrase he used. And yet they still come out in this game, even when they are down early in the game, and they still win by multiple scores. 
That yeah. is the mark of a good team. When your clunker is a is a multiple score victory, <laughs> that's pretty good. And oh, by the way, Brock Purdy's the MVP of the National Football League. Wait a second. Whoa, really? Okay. All right. Do you do you want to support your uh your hypothesis there? All the advanced stats back up Brock Purdy as the MVP. He's throwing for more yards per attempt in a single season than anybody in the history of the National Football League. He's just ahead of Kurt Warner, just barely. Now, who knows if that holds up by the end of the season? He's second in the NFL in passing yards right now, and I believe he's tied for second in touchdown passes. His team is the number one seed in the NFC. What's the knock on him? Please tell me what it is. Oh, I'm not saying there is a knock. I mean, the, the dude's been legitimate, and I'm not saying that I would be against him winning the award. I think that, you know, I guess now when you look at the way the, the landscape of the league is going with the Chiefs struggling, with Jalen Hurts and the Eagles struggling, who's the competition? Like, I'm trying to think of a name other than, okay, we'll, we'll just keep Brock Purdy on the docket. Who else would be up there for that award? I think Dak would be up there for yeah. sure. But Dak has played a lot of tomato cans. And one of the True. teams that he didn't play that or that he played that wasn't a tomato can was the 49ers, and he was awful in the yeah. game. So I, you know, and Purdy was great, by the way, in the same game. I, I think that I think uh, Tua. I guess you have to mention, although I still feel like kind of the same thing. When they've played good teams, they have not looked the same way. Uh, Lamar. I mean, Lamar Jackson's performance yesterday was absolutely fantastic, and I know we're going to get to that game. So those are the names that are there. But like Brock has just taken away all your criticism. Oh, he's a dink and dunk guy. All right. Well, three guys for the 49ers had 40 yard plays yesterday. He threw a 54-yard touchdown to Devo Samuel. Was that a was that a dink and dunk play? He threw a 44-yarder to George Kittle. Was that a dink and dunk play? Like anything you want to say, he's removing the ammunition against him every single week. Absolutely. I watched a lot of that game, uh, the the Seattle San Francisco game, and I was really impressed. His pocket awareness, he moves around the pocket well, and his deep ball is is very underrated. Like he throws a pretty deep ball, and he's. I always look at the San Francisco offense and yeah, they have Christian McCaffrey, who is I think the best running back in the league by far. And then they have Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and they have George Kittle, who is I think underutilized. We've talked about that before. Who else they really have? Like, it's not like this super deep cast of characters. They just have guys that really play well together. They are the epitome of a team. You can see them rally around each other. Hey, I think San Francisco is legit. I think Brock Purdy should be in the comp in the conversation. MVP. We'll see how it goes down the stretch. I'm not going to disagree with you at all, Rob, but let's let's take a look at your 49ers schedule coming up because 10 and 3, you got to keep that going. Got the Cardinals coming up. Oh, that game against the Ravens. That's going to be the big one. On, on Christmas. On Christmas, on Monday Night Football. That is that's going to be so much fun. Um, and I was not going to lie, like I was kind of intimidated going into that game, but not now, man. Now I'm on board. I think it's very possible the 49ers have already lost their last game of the season. I really do. I love the confidence. I love the confidence. He's as Razor Ramon. You say I'm oozing with machismo. I love it. I freaking love it. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens since we just brought him up. The Baltimore Ravens coming off their bye week at home. NFC team typically that is a recipe for disaster for the visiting opponent. And yet Matthew Stafford and the Rams gave them everything that they had, and it still wasn't good enough. Well, what a weird game. You know, you had. Uh, Tyler Lindenbaum snapped the ball out of the end zone for oh. a safety. Uh, you had these weird plays, two point conversions, obviously are going to come into play. Once you have that two point swing with the safety back and forth affair, some f 
phenomenal plays on both sides. Puka Nakua making these catches. I'm like, Ooh. this guy is insane. It gets incredible. This was an entertaining game, but the way it ends, a walk-off punt return touchdown in overtime after both teams have a possession, 37-31. to 31, The Ravens find a way to win, and they have a stranglehold on that number one seed in the AFC at 10 and three, the Rams who desperately needed that one to stay alive in the NFC picture, lose their six and seven. Rob, I know you want to talk about Lamar. He had a good game. This game. First of all, it was raining heavily in the yes. game and Lamar still goes for three sixteen and three touchdowns. And to be fair, Matthew Stafford went for two ninety four and three touchdowns. High, high level quarterback play in this game. But I mean, we have seen this with Lamar Jackson when he is healthy He's damn near unbeatable. Like he doesn't lose, and he especially doesn't lose to the NFC. I think he's like only has like one or two losses ever in his career to the NFC. And don't forget, Baltimore doesn't even have their best weapon because Mark Andrews is lost for the year. So for the Ravens to put up 37 points in this game in the rain against the Rams, who are also scoring a bunch of points, it's just super, super impressive. And I think that we kind of forgot a little bit how good Lamar Jackson is because he's been so banged up recently. When he's healthy, he's right up there with any quarterback in the league. I didn't forget. As a Steeler fan, I'm reminded by it weekly because you're always watching the Ravens and seeing how they do. Are they going to drop one that they should have won? This is a game that, in the past, the Ravens have lost. Now, the NFC opponent, I know Lamar has a great record against the NFC, but this is a game that sometimes the Ravens would fumble their way through and they find a way to win. They're starting to use Zay flowers the way that we all thought they would all season long. He has a good game. And you know, like, like you said, Matthew Stafford played a great game. He's beat up too. I mean, he's getting rocked on more than one occasion, just some great offensive football. This was a very entertaining football game. Like I said, I watched a a good majority of this game, a lot of fun. The Ravens, uh, let's talk about their finishing schedule here. They have a game against the Jaguars on Sunday night football this week. Then they have the Niners, then they have the Dolphins, and they finish up with the lowly Steelers in Week 18. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But, Rob, if I'm a betting man, the Ravens are the number one seed in the AFC. Do you agree? I definitely agree. They do the gritty things. They can win any kind of game. If you want to win a low-scoring game, they can grind it out like that. If you want to win a game like we saw yesterday where they need to put up 37 points because the defense is having a tough day in the weather, they can do that too. They're 6-3 in the conference. They, to me, are the best team in the AFC. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And let's let's go to some games that I think are like like surprises. You know, when you think about where teams were positioned and where teams were, you know, playoffs, their playoff not hopes, but they their seeding spots were on the line and they lost the game. Was there a bigger shock than watching the New York Jets and the Houston Texans, which CJ Stroud leaves with a concussion? And then things just fall apart. The Jets win 30 to six in this game. And again, Houston could not afford to lose this contest. Nonetheless, their playoff hopes take a shot as they now fall to seven and six or one of those seven and six teams. Rob, what was your takeaway from this game? This is a weird game. There were 11 (laughs) real possessions in the first half and every single one of them ended in a punt. Every single one for the whole, for both teams. And then in the second half, like the Jets were like, wait a minute, we're allowed to to score points. Okay, how about we try that? And they go seven plays, 75 yard touchdown. Texans go three and out. Then the Jets go eight plays, 69 yards, touchdown. And they really didn't look back from there. They scored 30 points in the second half of the game. 
I'm just like Jet fans. You have to just like, oh my God, yeah, this is what it's like for other teams all the time. <laughs> Zach Wilson goes for 301 yards, two touchdowns. He did have a fumble, so he, he still can't play a totally clean game. But nice for the Jets who've just been struggling all year long. Yeah, this game was scoreless at halftime. Zero zero. How much fun is that? And then you, you do feel for CJ Stroud. Like I saw that hit. Like his head whips hard. It reminded me of Tua last year. It, that's that's really, really tough. I don't even know who is their backup quarterback. Did you see? Davis Mills. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. From uh he's from Richmond, I think. He's a uh, yeah, I think so. But still can't get the job done. Texans lose. This is a tough, this is a really, really tough one for the Houston Texans when it comes to their playoff hopes. It's a conference, conference game. Uh, everything about it was just no good, but nonetheless, the Texans, we've talked about them. They're probably not going to go anywhere, but again, without CJ Stroud in the lineup, you have to wonder what are their chances? You know, even though they have the Titans next week, then they go to the Browns. We'll talk about the Browns here shortly. The Titans and Colts to finish it up. What you, what, what one time was CJ Stroud healthy look like, Hey, this team's going to be a viable playoff contender. I'm not so sure anymore, Rob, without CJ Stroud, unless he can bounce back. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, no shot. And especially <laughs> Tank Dell also now being hurt too. Yeah. Like you, the combination of those two yeah. things, it's just a really unfortunate end to the season. But again, like you've seen it now with Houston. CJ Stroud can play, clearly. He was leading the NFL in passing yards, I think, coming into the day. Like you've established you made the right pick. Tank Dell is obviously a really good player. You yeah. know you have pieces to build on if you're Houston. And that's what this season is about. You've figured out what you need to figure out, get everybody healthy in the offseason. And I mean, you go into next season with, you know, legitimate playoff hopes in the AFC if you're the Texans. Yeah, so I hope C.J. Stroud's healthy and maybe he'll be able to get back sooner than later. But let's talk about another team that, again, they weren't really expected to win this game. You're talking about a division leader, that AFC South. The Jacksonville Jaguars go to Cleveland to face Joey Flacco and the boys, <laughs> and they lose. Now, I know Trevor Lawrence was banged up, the ankle injury. He played. And to me, I'm, I'm always going to say that if a, a quarterback is going to play and they're not 100%, and if, you, if that hampered you that much, then you shouldn't have played. So nonetheless, the, the Browns, again, with Joe Flacco, a quarterback, that's not a joke. Like, this is real life. 31-27, to 27, the Browns win. The Browns are now 8-5, and five, and they find themselves a notch above all those 7-6 and six teams with a game in hand. What do you think there, Rob? I, I can't believe I'm saying this. But Joe Flacco has like not just come in, <clears throat> excuse me, not just come in and been like, okay, Joe Flacco. Like, no, he's got almost 600 yards and five touchdowns in two starts for Cleveland. Like, this is, he's legitimately playing well. And you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. I have to agree. Like, the game plan for him coming in on a very gimpy ankle could not have been, let's throw the ball 50 times. And yet he's 28 of 50 in the game, three touchdowns, three picks. So it's, it's amazing to me that Joe Flacco was the better quarterback in this yeah. game against Trevor Lawrence. I, I, again, as an AFC North guy, like I'm watching a lot of these games and I'm watching Joe Flacco. I'm like, Oh gosh, this looks like vintage Joe Flacco, which, you know, drop back unless if, if he has receivers and they don't have a bad receiving core there, they're starting to utilize players and positions that they never really did. I mean, he hits David Njoku for a 34 yard pass and a touchdown to start the game in the first quarter. And you're thinking, I forgot David Njoku was on this team because no one really targeted him before. And he's a talented tight end. They are absolutely, they have a different feel to them. Even when Deshaun Watson was in there, even when DTR was in there, uh, PJ Walker, if you want to throw him, he got waved all of a sudden, not sure what happened there, but still the Cleveland Browns, are they going to go anywhere next week? The bears, then the Texans, 
then the Jets, and they finish with a Jake Browning Bengals team. Are the, are the Browns going to make the playoffs? Yeah, that Browning game all of a sudden looks a little more difficult. That's true. If the Browns are going to make the playoffs, they're going to need their defense to step it up because they gave up 27 to Jacksonville. Now, I know they got the win. The week before, they gave up 36 to the Rams, and the week before that, they gave up 29 to the Broncos. So, like, this Browns defense that looked so good earlier in the year has kind of fallen off a little bit. I know that Miles Garrett was really banged up, uh, so I think that's part of it also. But, like, they need to get right because you can't ask Joe Flacco to have to put up 30 points every week. That is not your formula for success if you're the Browns. So you get that defense to shore things up a little bit, and if Flacco's going to play like this, like, damn, yeah, they look like they are going to make the playoffs. What about Jacksonville? Like, what's your take on this team? Like, it's it's they're eight and five now. It's it's really tough to kind of put your finger on what what to make of this team. Yeah, they're they're leading the AFC South because the Colts lost. We'll talk about that in a second. But they have the Ravens next week, then the Buccaneers, Panthers, and Titans. A, a pretty easy road there. I think they make the playoffs. But are you feeling anything? Is there any is there any gusto about this team? I just don't know which Jags team I'm going to see week to week and which Trevor Lawrence. Now, the ankle injury complicates things. But even then, like he he would have some games where he's making high level throws deep down the field. And you're like, holy hell, like this guy looks like the number one pick, you know, the the prince that was promised. Everybody was talking up Trevor Lawrence before he came into the league. And then he has some games where he's just he's just not it like it's just not there. And I sort of thought they had their like kind of growing year last year. And this year they would really be consistent and be able to compete and be you know a team to have to be dealt with in the conference and i just don't think they're they're there yet i think maybe they're still a year away i feel like we've been saying that for a few yeah. years now with the jaguars but still we'll see Let, let's talk about the afc south we'll keep this going again a, a game where you're talking about browning you're talking about you know uh the colts they are playing good football they're going into cincinnati Minshew mania <laughs> they do not get the job done. Bengals win 34 to 14. And again, Browning, he shines. I and mean, outside of the loss to Pittsburgh, this guy's been really, really good. Makes you wonder if Cincinnati just has a system in place that, hey, like if we can get a guy that's competent, he can actually go in and make some plays. 34 to 14. Bengals are one of those seven and six teams, again, left for dead at one point. What are your thoughts on this game, Rob? Good for Cincinnati, for Jake Browning, man. Like, it's, you know, it's that kind of McVay type system, right? That seemingly can help quarterbacks that aren't necessarily, you know, the most well thought of guys. He goes 18 to 24, 275, two touchdowns and an interception in the game. Has some running, uh, rushing touchdown as well. And if I told you that Jake Browning was going to start, that Jamar Chase was only going to have three catches for 29 yards, would you have thought that Cincinnati was going to put up 34 points and win? No way, but that's exactly what happened. It is. It's absolutely what happened. I I thought it was, it was a shock. I didn't think the Colts were going to lose this game, but then, you know, that's just what you have. So let's talk about the Bengals. We obviously need to discuss what their future looks like. They're seven and six. They have the Vikings next week. They're coming off of an offensive output. That was just incredible. We'll talk about that shortly. Uh, The Bengals and Steelers. Then they have the Chiefs and the Browns. That's going to be tough for them to make the postseason. On the flip side, the Colts, they have the Steelers this Saturday. Then they go to the Falcons, host the Raiders, and finish with the Texans. Either of these teams making the playoffs, in your opinion, Rob? One of them probably will. I don't care about them. They're not a threat to win the Super Bowl. They're not a threat to you know take down the upper echelon teams. Yeah. They're both battling it out with backup quarterbacks. It'll be a nice story. They'll They'll damage their own first round traffic, but that's really <laughs> as far as the game's going to go. 
Okay, let's go to another game, which, again, was a surprising finish. These are playoff-bound teams that are losing these games. Chicago Bears and Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions, we've talked about them on this show. Of They, they could be pressing for the number one seed. Well, not now. They lost 28-13. to The Chicago Bears with, I mean, Jared Goff throwing interceptions. It just looks really weird. Justin Fields, say what you want about him. He does. He's very athletic. He can run the football Rob, like the, the Lions are now nine and four, and they look like they're looking up at everyone else, just hoping for a playoff berth and just see what they can do. Hold on. Jared Goff on the road outside <laughs> in the cold is not good. Like, what have I been telling people? I feel like Jared Goff is the quarterback people think Brock Purdy is. Like, Jared Goff is the guy that needs to be spoon fed. Jared Goff is the guy that needs to be in the perfect system. When he faces any kind of adversity, he crumbles. And the Lions have been bad they almost lost to the bears on thanksgiving they probably should have lost to the bears on thanksgiving they were awful and the, down the stretch here when teams are supposed to be rounding into their best form the lions are doing the opposite they're going in the opposite direction in this game they were held scoreless in three out of the four quarters yesterday yeah like I, i've never been a jared goff fan ever and when they traded him from la with for matthew stafford i was like this is a, this is a telling thing here like mcveigh's giving him away. He's sending him to Detroit. He worked in that system. I don't think, like you said, he works outside of the, the dome and that's a problem in the playoffs. Like that's going to be a real big issue depending on where he has to go. And I, yeah, the Detroit lions have had a great season and I do think they're going to make the postseason because when you look at their, well, actually, but hell, yeah. holy cow. I'm looking at their upcoming, <laughs> <laughs> the Broncos, they're playing better football. Then they had the Vikings, the Cowboys and finished with the Vikings again. There's no way that they don't make the playoffs, though, is there? It would be a pretty big collapse. But when they, when you turn the ball over, as much as they've turned the ball over lately, you can lose to anybody. It is the ultimate equalizer. They have to protect the football. But I've never believed in their defense. They've allowed 314 points this year. They've scored 340, which is awesome. But they're only at plus 26 point differential on the on the year. So as much as they score, they let the other team score too. Again, my, you know my position on Jared Goff. I don't think yep. he's anything special whatsoever. And I, I get it. Like, they're the Lions, and they haven't been this good this late in the season in a long time. And I'm happy for the, the Lion fans that they get to have this and experience this. But there is a standard against which you have to measure teams, not just to be good for the Lions, but good teams, period. And right now, the Lions are not playing like a good team. No, no, they're not. And like I said, the, the remaining schedule is, is not a cakewalk. We'll put it that way. Now, we do have some games that we want to get through. And I got to be honest, like we're not going to spend a ton of time on these games. Most of these are NFC South games because that division is just a dumpster <laughs> fire. Uh, let's start with the New Orleans Saints and the Carolina Panthers in the Dome. The Saints do the thing, 28-6. to six. I mean, this there's a block punt for a touchdown. Uh, Jimmy Graham scoring. What, what year is this? I don't even know. <laughs> Nonetheless, the, the Saints are six and seven. The Carolina Panthers are one and 12. They have locked up essentially that number one overall pick, even though they are giving that away, I believe, to Chicago. Uh, any thoughts on this game, Rob? Derek Carr is tough as hell, man. He's yeah. coming in this game with like foot, knee, shoulder injuries. Like he, he basically was in a giant car accident and he's still coming back and playing in this game. Um, he, he's just, I think he deserves some credit for that. But the Carolina Panthers are hideously bad. They're the worst team in the league. And the Saints are slightly better. 
And so that's how you get a 28 to six game. I mean, there's nothing else to say in this one. The Saints still they just have more talent than yeah. Carolina. They still have Alvin Kamara. You know, they Jimmy Graham. Okay, he's more of a red zone threat than anything else. But that's enough because the Panthers have nothing. They have nothing. Their best offensive player is Adam Thielen, who's like a thousand years old. And it goes back to the question, which when we were on the show, what was it, three weeks ago when Frank Wright got fired, that who who would want this job? Like you're saddled with this quarterback that you might not like, you might not think is the guy. You have no real depth. You traded away like DJ Moore to the to the Bears as well. That's not an attractive position in my opinion. But let's talk about the other NFC South game. That was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beating the Falcons 29 to 25. Both of these teams are six and seven. This, I I swear, like th- this division, and we've <laughs> we've said this before, it is. It, it, it's a dumpster fire. It is an absolute dumpster fire with six and seven, three teams tied at that record, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, New Orleans for the division lead. That's embarrassing. That's, that's embarrassing. Uh, one of these teams is going to get a, to host a playoff game, which is ridiculous. Um, I will say for Atlanta, <clears throat> excuse me, they finally started to seem like, oh, let's throw the ball downfield a little bit. Let's throw it deep to Kyle Pitts for a 36-yard touchdown. Yeah. Let's hit Drake London, who had a brilliant catch 45 yards down the field in this game. Let's get Bijan Robinson involved, five catches for 54 yards, although they missed him on a wide-open touchdown early in the game. But it was nice to see Atlanta just like realize, like, hey, we actually have really good players around Desmond Ritter a little bit. But credit to Baker driving down the field, making some big plays late in the game. And, you know, Tampa is not great, but they're still trying to win games and they get the touchdown with 31 seconds left. Which of these teams in the NFC South that is actually vying for that division crown would be the one that could maybe upset another team in the playoffs, in your opinion? Maybe. I know that's a very big maybe. Oh, man. I mean, if you're just telling me I have to pick one, I guess I would say Tampa Bay. Baker can make some high-level throws. He was a number one overall draft pick for a reason. He doesn't always have the consistency, but he can make some big-time throws. We've seen him at the end of games play well in certain instances, and they still have Mike Evans, and Mike Evans is really freaking good, and he even only had one catch in this game, and they didn't even need him, but we've seen Mike Evans make huge plays in big spots for the Buccaneers, so if I had to pick a team, I would go Tampa Bay, although I am not worried about anybody in the NFC No, I don't think anyone is, but if you had to pick one, okay, you went Tampa Bay. I would agree with you, by the way. Now, we thought last week's six to nothing Chargers Patriots game was bad. The Vikings and Raiders said, hold my beer because we see your six to nothing and let's add three to nothing. The Vikings win this game. I still can't believe this. 20, we're in 2023. That is the year of our Lord. And the, (laughs) the Vikings win three to nothing, Rob. What's your takeaway? And just to give people an idea of how rare this is, it was just the second three to nothing final score in the last 30 years. And I don't know if this was the first time it's ever happened, but the Minnesota hockey team, the Minnesota wild and the Minnesota Vikings both won by the exact same final score on the same day, three to nothing. I mean, (laughs) just a terrible offensive football game, but credit to the Vikings. You know what? They weren't getting it done. They benched Josh Dobbs. They put in Nick Mullen. They they wanted a spark, right? They were just trying something. And this is a game I was keeping a close eye on because if either the if the Vikings lost, 
the Niners would have clinched a playoff spot. So I'm like, come on, it's like, just get a touchdown and you might win this game. (laughs) And yet they don't do it. They stick with Aiden O'Connell. He was terrible. Uh, Just 171 yards in the game and threw an interception also. Um, I guess good for the Vikings. The the shine has kind of worn off Josh Dobbs a little bit, I feel like, in the past few weeks. I've said it on other shows. I said it on the NFL Whip Around with Kevin Smith. Josh Dobbs is a spark plug, meaning he, wherever he goes, like he's good for two to three starts, but then it, the, the shine wears off quickly as other teams prepare and they get comfortable. I love Josh Dobbs. Like This is not a cut on him as an individual. He's a, a brilliant mind. He's just not a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's a great backup. He's not the guy that's going to come in and carry the team. Put hey, ten wins, I got it. No, you don't. I'm. Mean, it's just not. That's just <laughs> not the way it is in the NFL. So the Vikings fans, though, because obviously our, at fans first, we do have a Vikings contingent. They are they're thinking, hey, we might actually control our own destiny here. They're seven and six. They have the Bengals next week, and then they have those two Lions games, which we talked about when we mentioned Detroit with a Green Bay game sandwiched in between in week 17. I don't think the Vikings are winning anything and they're going to get into the playoffs. But again, this team started off really, really bad and they've battled their way back. So kudos for that. But three to nothing is not going to cut it in too many plays. Any other thoughts on this one? No, I don't know if they're going to, if Dobbs is going to be the starter going forward. I know Nick Mullins a little bit because he played with my Niners in San Francisco. He can move the ball down the field. Kevin O'Connell has a good offensive system there. The problem with Mullins is just back-breaking turnovers. He has a very weak arm and just hideous turnovers. But if he can avoid those, like the Vikings will move the ball enough to be in some games. But I ultimately, yeah, I don't think that uh, they're going to be able to get it done, which is a shame because Kirk Cousins was lighting it up this year. With He was probably playing the best football of his career. Yeah. And unfortunately, he gets the Achilles injury and, and we won't see Kirk again. No, unless he went to the same doctor with Aaron Rodgers, in which case we'll see some video of him throwing football soon. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Let's finish this up with a game, another team that was left for dead. And we were making fun of them. The Denver Broncos, we were laughing hysterically. They gave up all these yards and these points to the Dolphins. And when Sean Payton has the game passed him by, the Denver Broncos are now 7-6. and six, And they beat the Chargers 24-7. to seven. The Chargers are done. They're not eliminated officially, but they're five and eight. The team with all that talent and that quarterback, but the chargers are charging. We know this, but the, the Denver Broncos, I, I gotta be honest. There's something about teams that when everything looks like it's, it's a going against you that can find a way to get back in the mix. Gosh, it's admirable. And that's exactly what Sean Payton has done. They are like, again, seven and six. And you look at their upcoming schedule, the lions next week, Patriots, chargers and Raiders. I don't know if I don't know if the Broncos are going to get into the postseason, but their fans have to feel a hell of a lot better about their uh, the the promise of the organization after this year. They have found their formula for success. And stop yeah. me if you've heard this before with Russell Wilson. Denver is going to run the ball a lot. They're going to play incredible defense, and they are going to ask their quarterback to make one or two big plays, one or two big throws in the clutch. That's Russell Wilson with the Seahawks in the 2011, 2012, like that era of football. That's when Russell was at his absolute best. And that's what the Broncos have been doing. Yesterday, they run the ball 31 times for 106 yards. They only ran it for 3.4 yards per carry, but they don't abandon it. And Russell makes some big throws. And shout out to Cortland Sutton, by the way, who's making incredible contested catches. I feel like every single week. 
But that's the formula for the Broncos, and it has been working lately. And you're right. They're, they're going to have a shot at a double-digit win season here. Think about what you just said about the defense, right? So let's go back in time. They give up 70 to the Dolphins, and everyone's <laughs> laughing at them. Ha, you guys suck. And then they give up 28 to the Bears, and then they give up 31 to the Jets. What do they do after that? 19 to the Chiefs, 17 to the Packers, 9 to the Chiefs, 22 to the Bills, 20 to the Vikings, 12 to the Browns, 22-7. The defense is what's really changing with this team, and that's really surprising. When you said that, I was like, he's right, but we were making fun of this defense earlier this season, that they were a laughing stock, that they had no business being on an NFL field. Maybe that's the biggest change, is that their defense is starting to figure it out. Yeah, credit to Vance Joseph for getting that together for sure. And Russ is one of those guys. It reminds me, Jalen Hurts is the same way. Like, Russ is unaffected by negativity. Like, he really believes that he can pull it out and that things are going to go well and they're going to turn it around. He's like this unstoppable force of positivity. So even if you lose a game 70 to 20 like Denver, like that is not some guys would just be like, damn, you know, this isn't our year, whatever. Like Russ is not like that. He is going to keep coming at you and he's got them believing right now. And like you said, when your defense is doing that, you're going to be in every single game. Yeah. If only Russell Wilson could do better commercials. That's the only thing. Oh, <laughs> That's the subway commercials. <laughs> I have, oh my gosh. Person, he's incredible. Like he just seems so phony to me. I interviewed him uh, last year or two years ago when he was doing the subway commercials and he had like, he would autograph the sandwich. It was like edible ink. I was like, Oh my God, what are you doing right now? That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Russ, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat that. You wrote all over it. He's like, no, it's edible. Like, no, Russ, I'm all set. I like my sandwiches marker free. Thanks. Broncos country. Let's ride. <laughs> Don't encourage it. I'm not. I'm not. Okay, Rob. It's been a fun week. Is there any final thoughts on this week that was? I just love like, you know how we have the witching hour every day, uh, every Sunday on NFL Red Zone. This is like the witching part of the season now we got four games left this is when playoff dreams turn into playoff failures and i just this is the most fun every game is going to be meaningful from here on out i absolutely love it yeah and there's going to be surprises there's going to be teams that we didn't think we're going to get in that do it's going to be exciting we're going to be with you every step of the way here on the fans first football show on the ffsn nfl feed but rob why don't you tell people where they can find your 49ers coverage as well as they can find you on social media I am on all the socials at stats on fire and you can find all our work on the 49ers, the gold standard 49ers network. We have a YouTube channel. You can get the podcast anywhere you find your pods. Uh, I have a feeling you may want to hop on board because it's going to be a fun end of the season. I'll just say that. Okay. I'm going to hear about the Steelers. Not sure why you would, if you're a Steelers fan, it's pretty bleak, <laughs> but nonetheless, you can find us at the steel curtain network, uh, wherever you get your podcast, YouTube everywhere. And you can find me. I talk about a lot more than just the Steelers on my Twitter account. It's at Rob, thanks for another fun show. We'll talk next week. Thanks Jeff. Thanks Jeff.